Um, hey all, welcome to this side of my apartment. You know, there's even more sides. I was gonna like give leg content, but I feel like that's for the Patreon that I haven't spun up yet. You know, like you gotta pay for that, right? Welcome back to The Vocal. How, how are we feeling after our first foray that some of us never asked for into the deep pools of Bjork? How, how are we feeling? Are we, is everybody okay? I know that for some of you that was a lot, but you know what? I hope that I was able to like, be the bridge that you've maybe never had to her and maybe some of you that are already over that bridge on the train with me y'all got something out of it chapter two of bjork's career as i see it is like kind of where my favorite stuff starts happening covers really just two albums and by extension a third really today we're just going to cover the two albums in 2001 that's vespertine and 2004 that's medulla y'all these albums could not be more different from each other both of them could not be more different from what came before them and what was about to come after them so buckle up for any of y'all that are just struggling at like a sonic level academically stuff's making sense um and sounding interesting but like the music isn't hitting you yet 2001's vespertine the fourth album that bjork released as a solo artist is really a fantastic place to start it's probably her most listenable album it's beautiful clear pristine it's also quiet it, this is her first work post-millennium. Starting kind of now, she really is the original era's pop artist. What could be said of some of her contemporaries from the late 80s, the 90s, and then the early 2000s is that many of them built their music career on getting very good at one thing. Bjork, by the time she gets to album four, was not interested in that she was interested in staying very curious staying very moldable and doing things that excited her and changed her and pushed her therefore exciting and changing and pushing the rest of us the way that bjork starts to assemble these eras you can think of them as like trifectas she digs her heels into a strong narrative she becomes kind of fixated on one instrument at a time and she starts becoming really infatuated with certain technologies. Album four, Vespertine, is a home to some of my favorite Bjork music. As I had mentioned in her first chapter, she talked about Post as her city record, sounds made for the scale and scope of a city. Vespertine was her first record that she self-describes as being meant for inside the house. It was a record inspired by small form intimacy and the warmth and comfort that can be found within a house and in this particular example within a relationship encased in a house this was bjork's marriage record visually also this is an era that some of y'all probably know without knowing this was the swan dress era y'all probably saw her on the red carpet she's also wearing it in the cover art for this album and something that both of these um eras kind of use is a stronger black and white or like grayscale set of imageries whereas she really started working in technicolor thereafter instrument for vespertine the glockenspiel it's an instrument that makes the sound of chimes it's kind of like it might sound like wind chimes to some people or like a keyboard playing glass it's crystalline it's resonant and it's very beautiful and while i don't think that she had a particularly strong presence of a technology or a technological format on this album because she was focusing on a feeling of intimacy small scale she's using really small sounds it's almost asmr -y. now y'all the first song on this record is 
literally probably my favorite Bjork song of all time. It's called Hidden Place. It's loopy and kind of glitchy. It's kind of a glitch pop song. But unlike the industrial music of her first chapter, her voice is crystal clear now. Kind of like insect-like textural sound that's laced right on top of this chorus. I actually fell in love with this song when I was consuming the live performances of her 2011 album, which was 10 years after Biophilia. So this is the beginning of a song called It's Not Up To You. Some of y'all may hear a similarity between these small sounds, these like insecty sounds, and the sounds of Sia's early career as a solo artist. Right? Whereas Bjork, this is probably the loudest she gets on this album. A song she got really known for from this record is called Cocoon, and it's probably the most quiet, small form song here. I'm literally finding myself like whispering a little bit more, which is so funny. This song has almost no arc. It's really just very floating. It's like a sleep song. Some of the other textures on this album you can hear on a pair of songs, one called Frosty. Fully glockenspiel here. And the other called Pagan Poetry. This is among the darker songs on the album. You can hear some electronic elements that aren't present in the other songs. So that's Vespertine, y'all. Vespertine is a beautiful album. This is a great album to have on vinyl and just to leave on. It's a mood-setting album. It's very encapsulating, and it's it's got that feeling of, you know that Nordic term, haiga, which is like in the winter when everything is meant to feel really comfy and they're those big knit blankets. That's kind of the feeling of this album. In, in the vein of the theme that we started with, let's take a big left turn with her to album five's Medulla in 2004. <laughs> This one's a trip. This one's probably one of the single weirdest, strangest, least listenable albums in Bjork's catalog, if I'm being honest. One of those pillars of each of these chapters that I mentioned is a focus on a singular instrument. In this album, it was actually the absence of an instrument that was her focus. This entire album was recorded strictly with the human voice. In the early 2000s, the acapella scene was definitely like emerging. Her contemporaries of this genre may have been like the rock acapellas or even like the boys to men's, which one's pop rock, one's R&B. Vocal music was kind of known also through Bobby McFerrin. One of his more known records was called Circle Songs and it was all built around the idea of like vocal loops. So Bjork decided to make this record with 100% human voice, no instruments. Her collaborators, one was very much a vocal percussionist, so someone that uses their voice to create rhythm and beats. And the other is called a throat singer, someone that manipulated their muscles in their throat to create different sounds. There's a lot of like buzzy sounds, so things from the front of the face, like lip trills and rolls of the tongue, and then a lot of things in the chambers of the throat. It's extremely textural, it's fibrous. So this is the opening track called Pleasure Is All Mine. Here you can actually really hear the throat singer. It 
kind of sounds like an animal. It's like very kind of preternatural. This is a song called Where Is The Line. So you can kind of hear some of the like old school industrial beats being now recreated by the vocal percussionist. I think that's really cool. That tonal drumming, that So a lot of vocal percussion isn't tonal, it's just someone using their lips, but that's tonal. So they're actually like activating their vocal cords and singing while they're doing it. Here's one of the singles. I have to be honest, I think this is like maybe my lowest ranked of Bjork's singles. This is called Who Is It? This one is just a little weird for me. The song just kind of feels like empty and like there's no meat. A very Bjork thing is happening in the lead there. When she's singing a chorus, if she's doubling or tripling it, meaning it's not just a single vocal, it's multiple vocals, she seems to deliberately do them slightly differently. And so it just sounds messy. It sounds a little unfinished to me or more like a demo, but a finished song it was. Not only a finished song, a radio single. This album, is the first dive really at all into Bjork that I ever took. Music from this album was given to me from a college professor. I was taking a course on vocal arranging and he wanted us to hear all of the different artists and ways that all vocal arrangements showed up across genres across the world and through different eras of time. The first song I heard is a song I come back to kind of often and it's called The Triumph of a Heart. I like this significantly more than I like Who Is It? You can hear the lip trills there. It's funky, it's weird, different manipulation of the human voice. Someone kind of imitating a trombone there. What definitely starts to happen around this album is you kind of can't tell if and what she's joking about, if anything. All of her art up until now has been very self-serious in her canon, and just the phonics of this album seem to be more like jokey or have more humor in them but it's kind of hard to know does she want us to laugh at any of this like those meows on top of this chorus like any of us that have been in an acapella group we remember when arrangements were just trying to be full transcriptions of a pop song just to prove we could do it with a voice and we would use our voices to truly just try to imitate an instrument no matter how goofy it sounded, that's kind of what she's doing. So maybe that's all it is. A song in the middle of this album um, that I believe, you can fact check me, she performed at the Olympics. It's called Oceania. Oceania. So there we have it. Those are some samples from one of Bjork's Stranger albums, Medulla. We didn't really talk that much about story or subject matter, a theme that starts to emerge here that really sets the stage in a significant way for the third chapter of her career, which is still where I think she is living, is topics surrounding nature and the natural world in organic matter. It doesn't surprise me that on an album completely engineered, recorded, and sound designed with an organic human voice only, uh, for that to be the album where she starts weaving in concepts about the organic natural world around her. Oceania is a 
great example. She's singing about like Mother Ocean, Ancestors, Mouth's Cradle. And she has a couple songs with mouth in the title. One of her newer songs is called Mouth Mantra, and we'll get to that. She shot the video for that song, not this one, with a camera inside her mouth and submarine. So she's kind of thinking about the ocean, about landscapes and like what the what stories she could weave from the natural world. Y'all, that's Medulla. You may never come back to that one, but I think it's an interesting dive into like where vocal and acapella music was at the time. I think it doesn't necessarily stand up quite as well in her catalog for its repeat listenability. The visuals on this album, just as far as the album artwork and like the, the secondary artworks is concerned, was like woven hair. So it was almost like that theme of like organic substances, organic matter, what you could do with your own body. And it's like laid over her eyes. This might be really the first appearance of like the face or eye covering. On both of these albums, we're getting some slightly more avant-garde fashion from the swan dress of Vespertine to like the woven hair designs of Medulla. We're starting to get some like divisive sounds where she may actually lose some fans or kind of prove that not all of her work is super listenable. This almost feels more like an art project than an album in some respects. But this part of her career, I think, really set the stage for her as someone that isn't afraid of virtually anything. Y'all made it through chapter two. This is a funky chapter. This is a really fun one. I think there's highs and lows. There's like something for everybody and also like maybe not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but this is really where Bjork, I think, like starts to like kick it into high gear and like not take her career so seriously, but take it seriously enough that she's making some really cool shit. And thanks for being along on the ride with me. And I'll see you for chapter three.